Mark chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 20 to 21 and 31 to 35. Then he went home, talking about Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and bro my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So the title of this message is, is Jesus out of his mind? Is Jesus out of his mind? You saw uh, where I get the title from in verses, uh, verse 21. So uh, there's a story of a college senior who took his girlfriend to a football game. And the young couple made their way to their seats in the crowded stadium and started watching the action. About halfway through the game, a substitute running back was put into the game. And he, as he was running onto the field to take his position, the college senior said to his girlfriend, take a look at that guy. I expect him to be our best man next year. His girlfriend snuggled closer and said to the surprised young man, that's the strangest way I've ever heard of a, for a guy to propose to a girl. But never mind, I accept. So if you caught on to that story, that's what you would call a misunderstanding, right? The, the poor girl just thought her boyfriend proposed to her, and misunderstandings happen all the time. And even in the life of Jesus, we'll see this. And we'll see tonight that Jesus' own family didn't fully understand him. In fact, they're convinced that Jesus is out of his mind. Now, it's one thing to be mis misunderstood by friends. However, when it comes to family that misunderstands you, it's hard to put into words what that feels like. Jesus is going to make some shocking and significant statements tonight. And he's going to teach us through his own earthly family who constitutes his true family. And we'll get the answer to this question which is who's part of the family of God? Who is part of the family of God? So in Matthew chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and then 31 to 35, we're going to see who Jesus considers his true family so that you would understand who is truly in with Jesus. There's those who are in and those who are out, insiders and outsiders, those who get it and those who don't. So outline is very simple, two, two headers. Jesus' earthly family and Jesus' spiritual family. So first, Jesus' earthly family. We'll see in verses 20 and 21 and verses 31 and 32. Okay? So it's been a while since we've been in Mark, but last time we learned that Jesus called and appointed the 12 apostles in Mark chapter 3, verse 19. And these men, we learned, were unremarkable. They were ordinary and common by most standards, but they were used by a remarkable and matchless God to accomplish great things. And as we begin in verse 20 tonight, it's these 12 men that are with Jesus as he returns home. And it's important to know that in between verse 19 and verse 20, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, which is not found in Mark, but it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And Mark doesn't include it in his gospel because his emphasis is more on what Jesus did rather than on what Jesus said. So this is the setting. 
Jesus and his disciples are together at Jesus' home in Capernaum. And this was most likely the home of uh, Jesus used as his headquarters. In Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we're, we're told this, And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So this would be also the same home that Jesus healed the paralytic, if you remember, whose friends had to lower him through the roof. And again, we see here that the crowds are gathered. Jesus' popularity has been on the rise. And each time, we see his following growing and growing in numbers. But as we continue to see, the crowds were after healing, not the healer. They were after the miracles and not the message of salvation. So Jesus was popular, yet popular, popularly misunderstood. Right In Mark chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. This was a fanatical crowd who were ready to crush Jesus to get in order for him to, to heal them. So we see Jesus was attracting people like magnets. Great masses of people were fascinated by what Jesus was doing. And Mark tells us that Jesus couldn't even sit down to eat a meal because of the crowd. The house is packed inside and surrounded on the outside with people trying to press inside. So you could say that the crowd was crowding. And here we see the extent of Jesus's ministry. He labored tires, tirelessly and compassionately to the crowds, teaching them, healing them, casting out demons from those who were oppressed. Jesus was busy and the crowds were so many that Jesus couldn't even find a small window of time to sit down and eat a meal. In verse 21, Jesus' family got word of Jesus. They're identified in verse 31 as his mother and his brothers. So here we learn that Jesus had an earthly family. Jesus had parents and he had siblings. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we're given the name of his mother and, and brothers and we're told that he also has sisters. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. So we're told that when Jesus' family heard reports about his ministry to the crowds, how he continued to do ministry to the crowds without apparent consideration for his own needs, they thought that Jesus was out of his mind. And out of love and concern for Jesus, the text tells us that they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. And the, the verb tense there means that they kept saying that. They kept thinking to themselves, Jesus is out of his mind. He's not even eating. So literally, it means to stand outside of oneself. In the Gospel of John, we, we hear these words in John 10, 20. Many people said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Speaking of Jesus. The same verb is also used in Acts. Uh, in Acts 26, 24, Paul was making his defense before King Agrippa and Festus and talked about how Christ must suffer and rise from the dead. And then the mentioning of Paul believing that the dead would live, and cause, would live again caused Festus to assert that Paul was insane. And we're told this, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. So Jesus' earthly family thinks he's beside himself. He's lost his senses. He's not even able to take care of himself physically, 
and he's not behaving responsibly, or so it seems. They're thinking, we better go get him before he suffers more and possibly ruins our family reputation. He's out of control and needs to be cared for, so let's go get him. And it's important to note at this point that Jesus' family, they don't truly understand who he is. They don't know Jesus as the Son of God. They only know Jesus as a family member. In other words, they haven't yet believed or put their faith in him as the Messiah. And in John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. So apparently, Jesus has gone mad. So his family leave their home in Nazareth to travel 30 miles to seize Jesus. And the verb to seize means to take charge or to arrest, or to take into custody. And Mark will use the same word again in chapters 6, 12, and 14 with the sense of arresting a person. So Jesus' family's intention was to go and seize Jesus and take him back to Nazareth with them. And we have to understand this wasn't a hostile act. Rather, it was a sincere, out of love and concern, but it was a, a sincere but misguided concern. They were deeply concerned for Christ, otherwise they wouldn't have acted on the reports and traveled all the way to seek to restrain him. However, the issue wasn't their concern. It was their lack of understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do. So note that this is Jesus' mother and brothers. This is his family. They were the closest to him. They grew up with him, ate meals, and spent time with him. Out of all the people that we've encountered in Mark, his family are the most familiar with him and closest to him. So the question is, do you find it sad or surprising that Jesus' own family think that he's out of his mind? They know him the best, yet they're convinced he's beside himself and has gone, and they've gone out to seize him. And maybe you agree with his family. I mean... Jesus isn't even taking time to sit down and eat a meal because he's doing ministry. On top of that, his ministry by human standards hasn't been great. Not many people were were responding to his message of repentance and faith in the gospel. The religious leaders reject him and want to destroy him. The crowds misunderstand him and come for the wrong reasons. Even his disciples don't truly, truly understand who he really is. In fact, one of his disciples, who he called to be with him, will soon betray him. Maybe Jesus is going crazy. Maybe his family is right. Maybe he is out of his mind. This was how the Son of God was received when he came into the world. This was the earthly life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And know this, Jesus didn't only suffer on the cross. His entire life was one of sorrow and suffering. And also know this as well, It's for that very purpose that he came to save sinners like you and me. So let's see how Jesus will respond when his family arrives. So remember, they heard about Jesus being so busy with the crowds that he wasn't eating. So they're traveling from Nazareth to Capernaum to go get Jesus and bring him back home. And in verses 22 to 30... Uh, Mark inserts another story in between, which is why we skipped over it. We'll, we'll look at it next time. And this is something that Mark does. It's unique to Mark. 
multiple times throughout the Gospel of Mark, we'll see him use what commentators call a Markin sandwich, a Markin sandwich. So Mark will begin an account, and then it'll, it'll be interrupted by another story, and then Mark will return to conclude the account he first started. So if you, if you imagine a sandwich, there's the two pieces of bread, and in between you'll have whatever meat you use for your sandwich. So tonight we're looking at just the two pieces of bread, and next time we'll look at the middle piece, which is a different account, but it, it, will, it will relate to each other once we cover it. So with that said, look at verse 31 now. So at this point, his mother and his brothers have arrived at the home where Jesus was, and Jesus is teaching inside the house. His disciples sitting around him and surrounding them Surrounding both Jesus and his disciples are the crowds who have pressed in to listen to Jesus teach. The house is packed. It's a full house. The house was filled to capacity and there was no more room. In Luke chapter 8, verse 19, we're told, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could, could not reach him because of the crowd. So Jesus' mom and brothers can only stand outside of the house and send someone to call Jesus who was inside the house. So... Do you see what's happening here? Imagine getting dropped off at a friend's house, or maybe, you know, even now, you just got dropped off to youth group, and when your parents arrive to pick you up, someone, maybe one of the leaders or one of your friends, will come to, up to you and say, your mom's here, right? Time to go home. She's waiting outside for you. Uh, this is what's happening in our passage. Jesus' family has come and relaying the message inside to Jesus, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to take you back home, right? So they can't get to him because of the crowd, so they send for him. And the message is passed through the crowd and finally reaches Jesus. Verse 32, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Your family's here to get you. Time for you to stop what you're doing and go back home with them. And we have to notice, this, was, this wasn't some strangers calling for Jesus. This wasn't some friends calling for Jesus. This was Jesus' mom and brothers calling for him because they think he's out of his mind. It's time to come home, Jesus. You need help. You're not even eating. Let's go. And, and we have to understand the importance of family during that time, especially during the, that time in Jesus' day. They probably thought that they had some sway and influence on Jesus. You know, when, you, when, when you're told your family is here for you, uh, whatever Jesus is doing inside the house, let him know that he has a responsibility to his mother and his brothers. His ties to us take precedence over his ministry. And you've heard the, the saying, family first. This is the idea, family first. For sure, Jesus will respect the request of his mother and brothers. And just a quick observation here. Notice the word outside. The word outside, Mark uses it twice, once in verse 31 and once in verse 32. So who's on the outside? Those who know the most about him, Jesus' mother and brothers. And who's on the inside? Who are the ones sitting around Jesus, his disciples and the crowd? And that, that's interesting because the ones who should know the most are really the ones furthest from him at this point, and the ones who really don't know much at all, except for what Jesus had been doing before their very eyes, except for the call that Jesus had made on their lives, 
These are the ones closest to him at this point. Think about, think about this. There's a tax collector sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus' own mom is on the outside trying to get to Jesus. So in our passage, we learn that Jesus received the greatest opposition from those closest to him and from those who knew the most about him. And I said, as I said earlier, it's one thing to be misunderstood by friends, and it's a completely other thing when it's your family that misunderstands you. And that's hard to put into words what that feels like. So this is what we see with Jesus' earthly family. They're opposed to what he's doing, and they don't understand his true identity. They're convinced that he's acting irrationally, when in fact the only thing irrational about Jesus was what they have mistakenly concluded about him. And it's interesting that as this scene unfolds, we see that Jesus is with his disciples and with the crowds, fo- and, and with the crowds following his every movement. He's not with his family, because at this point, his family are outsiders. They want to seize and stop Jesus' ministry, just like the religious leaders, although for entirely different motives and purposes. So a couple questions to think about. Are you close to Jesus? Are you familiar with him? May you be reminded that even those closest to Jesus opposed him, even those most familiar with him misunderstood him. And that teaches us some valuable lessons. Being close to Jesus and being familiar with him and knowing about him and knowing the facts doesn't make us part of his family. Jesus' mother and brothers, they knew him, but they didn't know him at this point. So coming to church, hearing about Jesus, having Christians in your family doesn't make you part of the family of God. So may that challenge you and even awaken and disturb your soul. Have you misunderstood Jesus as well? So let's look at next. What what will Jesus do next? His mom and his brothers are here for him. Surely he'll come outside and go with them, right? Well, let's find out. We've seen Jesus' earthly family. Now let's look at Jesus' spiritual family, verses 33 to 35. So he says, And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus responds with a question of his own. And he responds to those inside the house, not to his family outside the house. That's important. He says, Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looks around at those who sat around him, specifically at the disciples, as Matthew tells us in his gospel, Matthew 12, 49. It says, Jesus stretching out his hand toward his disciples. Jesus says, behold, here are my mother and my brothers. So Jesus here, just to be clear, Jesus isn't dismissing his family. He's redefining family. And Jesus isn't severing his relationship with his earthly family, he's emphasizing the priority of being part of the family of God. In other words, he isn't destroying the natural family structure. We know that Jesus loves his mother Mary and he loves his brothers and sisters. We can't forget that Jesus is God and God is love. And that means that he loves them even more than they love themselves. Jesus 
loved his earthly family. We see an example of this uh, when Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, experiencing great pain and agony, Jesus told the Apostle John to take care of his mother. In John 19, 26 to 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So Jesus is about family, but he's not, as we'll see, all about family. He's all about his father's business. Jesus is making the point that there's a family beyond family. There's relationships that are stronger than siblings. There's ties that go deeper than the flesh. In other words, there's a stronger bond than that of flesh and blood. The only relationship that really mattered eternally to Jesus wasn't physical, but spiritual. And I want to make clear that Jesus isn't teaching that physical relationships have no value. He's making the point, once again, that spiritual relationships are the most important and significant of all relationships. In other words, the spiritual family is greater than the physical family. So does that shock you? It most likely stunned everyone who heard Jesus say those words. Because in that culture, family was everything, even more so than our, our culture today. For example, when Jesus' family came for him, the message was relayed to him. However, back in chapter 2, the house we learned was packed and the paralytic was brought to Jesus, but we don't read there that they tried to get a message to Jesus. They didn't do that because they weren't family. They weren't Jesus' family. And as far as the crowd was concerned, they were strangers. The paralytic and his friends had to make a hole in the roof in order to get to Jesus. All that to say, family was a big deal in the first century Jewish culture. So we have Jesus stretches out his hands to his, to his disciples and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Here's my true family. Here's my spiritual family. It's those who have left everything to follow me. These are the ones who are more precious to me than my, my natural family, who at this point were unbelieving. What comfort and what encouragement, what even affirmation for the disciples. They've left everything, career, family, fishing boats, and now to hear Jesus say that he views them as his own family. Who are my mother and my brothers? Here they are, the ones who left all to follow me. Jesus is raising up a new family of believers. So who is part of Jesus' true family? Verse 35, it's those who do the will of God. For whoever does the will of God, verse 35 says, he is my brother and sister and mother. And in Luke's account, doing the will of God is synonymous with hearing the word of God and doing it. So Luke 8.21 says, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So hearing and heeding, knowing and obeying, Jesus teaches us another very important lesson. Being part of God's family is shown by doing the will of God. And what is the will of God? I'll give you a short list. And this isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but let, I hope this points you in the right direction. It's being transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, Romans 12.2. It's no longer living in the flesh for human passions, 1 Peter 4.2. It's obeying God from the heart, Ephesians 6.6. 6. It's endurance to do all that God says, Hebrews 10.36. It's looking to the word and living by the word. It's submitting yourself to his lordship. That's what Jesus willingly does to his father, and that's what the disciples did in responding to Jesus' call. James 1.22, a, a verse you might know, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. In John 13, Jesus says that a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then he, and then he goes on to say in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not blessed are you if you know them, but blessed are you if you do them. A true follower of Christ isn't one who just makes a profession of Christ, but one who actively obeys Christ. That's the one shown to have a relationship with Christ. And f to say it another way, faith in Christ is displayed by obedience to his word. There's a story of a missionary who was, trans who was translating um, to he and he was trying to find a word for obedience in, in the native language. And this was a, a virtue seldom practiced among the people into whose language he wanted to translate the New Testament. And as he returned home from the village one day, he whistled for his dog and it came running at full speed to him. And the old native, seeing that, said admiringly in the native tongue, your dog is all ears. And then the missionary knew he had his word for obedience. Are you all ears to Jesus? Are you all ears to his word? For whoever, Jesus says, does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It's the one who does the will of God. And you have to understand that it's not doing in order to be saved, but living in light of already being saved. Jesus isn't teaching salvation by works. He's teaching a salvation that works. We're only saved one way, completely by the works of another, completely by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him, and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Your love for Christ is expressed by obedience to his word. And you do that, you obey Christ, not to become family. You, you obey because you are family. And in verse 34, Jesus is speaking and addressing the 12. As the whole crowd takes in all that Jesus is saying. However, in verse 35, Jesus expands his, to not just the disciples. He looks beyond the 12 and says, for whoever, whoever, anyone, no matter who you are, whoever does the will of God is the one who is part of the family of God. This isn't limited, but it's open to, to all. Jesus' real family are those who do the will of God. And some of you may be the only believer in your family. Some of you may have been called crazy or out of your mind. Some of you may have been abandoned by those closest to you. Jesus knows what you're going through. Because remember, you have a family beyond family. You have the family of God. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, whom you are bonded and knit together with a connection that is stronger than any earthly family bond. Jesus considers you family, John 1:12. but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So are you committed to following Jesus? Are you careful to do the will of God? Are you living and loving Christ, spending time with him and sitting at his feet to learn from him? Are you eager to hear and obey the word of God? Or are you living for yourself? There's a story told of Herman Edwards. He was, a, he was a, the colorful and witty coach of the Kansas City Chiefs from the years 2006 to 2008. And when it came to his thoughts on teamwork, he said, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. And if you know anything about football uniforms, the name on the helmet is the team logo. The name on the back of the jersey is your name. He said, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. So are you on Team Christ, Team Jesus, or are you seeking to make a name for yourself? Jesus' mother and brothers came seeking for Jesus, and they went home without even seeing him. They stood outside the home, and they stood outside Jesus' spiritual family. Once again, at least at this point in their life and ministry, Christ's brothers will come to believe in him and his mom. So imagine... Imagine if Jesus did listen to his family and went home. He wouldn't have been doing the will of God. And where would the cross be if Christ was all about family first? And once again, this doesn't mean you neglect family. Jesus never taught or suggested that believers ignore or abandon their families in order to serve God, but only that they put God's will above everything else in life. This means that earthly family isn't first. God is first. Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke 14, 26 says it like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So, your love for God should be so great that your love for family would seem like hatred in comparison. And that ought to challenge you. That ought to confront your assumptions about what the Christian life is about. Because if family is everything to us, if family gives us meaning and purpose, if it's the reason why we live and exist, if everything in life is centered around family, if we make everything secondary to family and subservient to family, only making sacrifices for family, putting family before all else, then family is what we worship, not God. And that's a real danger, and that is what we call idolatry. Someone said this about idolatry. Idolatry isn't just a failure to obey God, it's a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. So everything good can turn into bad if it becomes more precious than God. Family 
is a great gift from God. But like all gifts from God, we can love the gift more than the giver. So let's beware of the danger of making family or anything else that we cling to of greater importance than commitment and obedience to Christ. And it goes without saying that you love your family. And since you love your family, the best thing you can do is put the will of God first. In other words, you love your family's best when you put God first. The best son or the best daughter is the one who loves the Lord with all, all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because you're Christians before you're anything else. Your closest relationships are your spiritual family who you will be with for eternity. So don't allow human relationships to take priority over doing the will of God. And don't forget, the disciples were men who left everything to follow Christ, yet throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we hear of their little faith. Jesus knew all of them would desert him when he would go to the cross. In fact, he told them that they would, and they did. Mark 14, 50, one sentence is this, and they all left him and fled. And yet, in our passage, we find Jesus in a house knowing those facts in front of all of the, the crowd. He says to his disciples, behold, here are my mother and my brothers. Press on, persevere, and keep on keeping on. You're loved as Christ's very own. So in conclusion, we've seen Christ, we've seen Jesus, who Jesus considers his true family. So that you would understand who is truly in with Jesus, his earthly family and his spiritual family. The religious leaders want Jesus dead. His earthly family thinks he's out of his mind. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, what you do with Jesus Christ will determine your eternal destiny. Do you also regard Jesus as out of his mind? Do you want nothing to do with Christ or are indifferent to him? You stand outside the family of God and one day you will be judged for your sin. And the only way to be brought into the family of God is by being born again. You must be born again and only God can do this through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So cry out to God in repentance and faith acknowledge your sinfulness acknowledge god's holiness embrace christ's saving work on your behalf and believe it with all of your heart and as jesus explained in john 6 40 this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life and i myself will raise him up on the last day and if you are a believer who does jesus consider his true family not those of physical relationship, but those of spiritual relationship. Not those most familiar with him, but not those closest to him. Because closeness, as we've learned, doesn't mean relationship. It's the one who does the will of God who are considered true family. Jesus' mother and brothers were genuinely concerned for Jesus. Their request was expected and natural. Your mother and your brothers are here to take you home. Jesus' response was unexpected and unnatural. Who are my mother and my brothers? It's the one 
ones who do the will of God. There's a blood that binds us closer than the blood of our mothers and fathers. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for all who would repent and believe in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Christ lived, bled, and died, and by his wounds we are healed and brought into his family by grace through faith. And those who have received such grace are marked by humble obedience. There's a kind of a humorous story told of an old couple who was sitting by the fireside. The husband looked over to his wife and said, after 50 years of marriage, I found you tried and true. The, wife hearing, the wife's hearing wasn't very good. So she said, what? And he repeated, after 50 years of marriage, I found you tried and true. And then she says, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too, she said. We will spend eternity with Christ and our spiritual family. Relationship with Christ ex expands beyond five years, beyond 50 years, beyond 500 years. Christ is the faithful and true one. And Jesus isn't out of his mind. He's obeying the will of his Father. He was sent as a savior of sinners and nothing, not even earthly family, can take him away from his mission to live a perfect life, die a criminal's death on a cross, and rise from the grave, accomplishing salvation for all who would believe. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So blessed are you if you do the will of God. And remember, his work on you isn't yet complete but he's completing it even now and he will bring it to final perfection in the end when you see him face to face. So be all ears and continue to follow him and continue to do his will. And may nothing and no one be put before him because he put nothing before you, not even his own family, in order to go to the cross and accomplish redemption and salvation for you. Let's pray.